Sometimes when you're driving down the road all by yourself, you begin to hear a voice that tells you you need to look around, pay attention. Maybe something isn't quite right. That voice is me. It's the voice of Gord. G'day, and welcome to another episode of Voice of Gord. Good show for you guys today. Just had a conversation with a fellow resident of upstate New York, a fellow you might know from Twitter named Andy, a.k.a. Shagbark Hick, or Adirondacker. He's well known for his threads extolling the virtues of remaining in place and li living the upstate lifestyle as close to home as you can with little regard for the bad politics here or the bad politics anywhere. You know, he has a very well-developed sense of place and what we all need to do to keep marching forward in spite of all the bigger picture, black pill, bad political things we face. There's many reasons for us to stay put, and I think he makes a good case for it. It's a great conversation. I've been, I've been lo really looking forward to talking to Andy. I've encouraged him to start his own podcast. You'll, you'll hear it when we're speaking with me. He's, um, he's a good cat, and, and you guys are going to enjoy this. Um, my apologies for another show, not necessarily about trucking. A few of my guests I have lined up uh, have medical issues, and a bunch of them are truck drivers, and we can't always make schedules line up. And you know what? Life isn't always about the road or the industry. We have to discuss other things with other interesting people, and that's part of the mandate of this show. You guys are really going to dig this, and a few people outside the trucking sphere, I think, are going to dig this as well. All right, well, without any further delay, let's get to Mr. Adirondacker. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Voice of Gord. I'm Gord, and this is my voice. The other voice you're going to hear today is that of a somewhat infamous Twitter anon, a big booster for localism and staying where you are and making it work. You might know him as Adirondacker or at Shagbark Hick and his many threads extolling the virtues of living in the far north end of upstate New York. Well, welcome to the show, sir. Hey, how, how's it going? Well, it goes good. Be beautiful, sunny Sunday here in upstate New York. What's happening at your end? Well, I had to, I had to fight through a bad blizzard today going up uh, Route 12. Uh, it was a total whiteout, but up here, I, I hit clear roads as soon as I crossed the county line into St. Lawrence County. Almost as if it had been ordained by the Lord himself. Uh, St. Lawrence, pray for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're quite, how far away are you from the river? Uh, 13 miles. Right, and you're pretty close to Messina? I am, yeah, about... About 50% of the radio stations here at my house are in French. <laughs> so you're fa also fairly close to Quebec. Yeah. yeah. And that, uh, that, that portion of eastern Ontario where uh, French is a big thing. So you're quite, um, you're quite infamous online for um, being a bit of a white pillar, so to speak, about, you know, staying where one is at despite the political conditions of the area you live in. I mean, we're in New York, which is famous for being pretty solid blue. It's a, a one-party state, as it were, much like California, where the Democrats are in charge and Albany is infamous for making our lives difficult. However, there's many other good things about New York State and, and, and good things we can do while we're living here. And, and, and you've, um, you've spent quite a bit of time on Twitter discussing such matters. So I'm, I'm just going to hand you the mic. You go. T tell us where you're from. Tell us why you, you came to 
uh, feel the necessity to discuss such things? And, and what brought you here? Well, I'll, uh, it's kind of a long story because I grew up uh, between Rome and Boonville in Oneida County. And growing up, I, I think I didn't really appreciate what I had. Because, you, you know, you watch TV and such and you get ideas, even things like uh, phrases, like they say to a young country boy, he'll go far, right? Uh, to say, oh, he'll do well. Why is doing well equated with going far from your home? So I had all these ideas about how, oh, it sucks here. I don't like it here. I want to go somewhere else. So I traveled for a long time. I traveled for uh, really five years that I spent hitchhiking and riding freight trains across the United States. Um, and I've been to 48 contiguous states and several Canadian provinces as well as Mexico. And at the end of it, all I wanted was to come back here. And everybody here said I was crazy. They said, why are you coming back here? We're all trying to go to Florida. I said, if you're trying to go to Florida, you don't know what, what good you've got. You know, here, there's no sense in going to Florida, right? Um, and so I realized that there's something about place that's way more important than politics and um, some of that other stuff that honestly, it comes and goes. The economy goes up, it goes down. The political situation in this state, not really even that long ago, was actually Republican. Um, there was a conservative uh, presence in this state and the winds have changed now, but they're not going to be this way forever. So if you're a long haul thinker, um, I really believe that this state is not a bad bet um, for, for those of us who are from here and even people who are from elsewhere. You know, uh, homes are cheap, land is cheap. And if life is cheap, you don't need to make a lot of money to survive. And you won't make a lot of money here, but that's okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe in your part of the state, um, you shared a, an interesting map earlier today of New York State. Um, but with the divisions within, and I think it was fairly accurate, uh, relatively speaking. And to my mind, as an immigrant to New York State and someone who's traveled through it previous to immigrating here quite a bit, New York State is like a dozen different states in and of itself. It's, it's quite diverse geographically, culturally. Uh, many people associate the state, unfortunately, with the city which is only a very small geographic corner of the place uh, and has outsized influence, unfortunately. But um, your part of the state, as you said, is cheaper to live. Maybe the wages suck, but like perhaps opportunities for people that want to seek out a place where they can um, put down roots in a time when real estate prices are crazy all over the show. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think we benefit considerably from the fact that we have a major world megacity that shares a name with the state. Because in all my travels, if you're from up here, um, you know, people will say, I'll be in, say I'm in Seattle and somebody asks me, where are you from? I can't just say New York because if I say New York, they think I'm from Times Square you know, or, or Brooklyn or something. They think I grew up with Biggie Smalls and uh, I don't know what they think. But what I know is um, I have to say I'm from upstate New York or, or, or even more than that, because even upstate, they think it's a golf course uh, that's just over the line from the Bronx. And that's not true. It's, it's an actual fact. It, I mean, to get from Brooklyn to here takes about seven hours. And that's if there's no snow. Right. Um, realistically speaking, Google will tell you six, six and a half, depending on traffic. But with traffic and everything, it's seven hours. You could be in London from 34th Street before you got to my house. So we're a world apart and we're, we're but we're unknown. Nobody even thinks about what deep upstate really could possibly be. And I wind up telling people, I say, it's kind of like Vermont, but grittier. Or it's kind of like uh, Michigan, but hillier. But even those approximations don't really adequately describe this land or its culture. So we are just hiding out from 
whatever's been done to the rest of America that has caused it to all kinds of problems. Here, it's we have a preserved uh, landscape where, yeah, it's kind of dying and things are rusty and things are not working and people are moving away, but the bones of original American culture are still alive here in a way that they are simply not in all these cities that are great business opportunities for conservative people and low tax areas. They become sprawling mega mall nightmares quickly and any semblance of their original culture is lost. That, that isn't the case here in upstate New York. We're protected from that by wackadoodle policies in Albany. It's very weird because I hate those policies, but actually I benefit from them in a strange way, you know? Yeah, so what you're presenting here is an interesting um, inversion or dichotomy, so to speak, where people have perceptions of a place that are either based on culture or politics, but not actually knowing it, they make all of these assumptions. And then those assumptions actually work to keep those bad things out of the state. Is, like, is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, in a way, uh, a lot of people don't even have any assumptions about upstate at all because they don't, they don't even realize it's there. Um, and then the few who do know about it, they usually know somebody who is from here and was very um, disgruntled by the reality that up here we are not represented politically. I'll just say it that way. I mean, you, you could argue that we are in certain ways, but realistically, at the end of the day, every bill that gets across the Senate floor is written by downstate Democrats who are funded by downstate money and represent the interests of New York City, and basically satellite outposts of New York City culture as it's found in Albany and Syracuse and Buffalo and Rochester, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, people the people who have a perception about upstate New York is, oh, it's negative, the gun laws are bad, the taxes are bad. That's all I ever hear is gun laws, taxes, gun laws, taxes. But let me tell you what, nobody's peeping their head into my armory. And frankly, it's not that hard if you if you don't like your tax bill, take a look at what you're getting for for what you pay. It's actually a pretty good value proposition across the country uh, because we have infinite water, no natural disasters, decent roads most of the time, good library systems, and um, you if if you want to be the assessor in these small towns, it's not that hard. It's usually some old lady, and when she's gone. There's nobody who's who's raring for that position nine times out of ten from what I've seen. So go be the assessor and protect everybody in your town from getting revalved and getting their pro their property taxes driven up. You know, it's I, all I say is the people who are upset about the way things are in New York and they go run away to some other place. Their judgments actually protect the people who want to stay here by making the value of what's here artificially lower you know. Right. And so in, in a way to, to compare this to another place, New York state has not yet reached or gone beyond the tipping point of somewhere like California, which has been experiencing an exodus of people. I mean, New York still has an exodus of people, but I, I don't think they have the people leaving here feel the same sort of urgency when they depart California and because the speaking to a sort of localism and, and decentralized um, way of managing these things, like you just alluded to with, you know, Hey, you should run to be the local assessor or you should get involved in local politics and make things where you are better. You know, maybe, maybe New York can still be salvaged. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and I think to contrast California's exodus with, with New York's, New York's is actually greater. As a percentage of our population, we're losing more people than even California is. However, oh, there's wow. a difference. There's a difference because California's exodus is largely elemental. When my house is surrounded by wildfires, and then I say, okay, well, I got to go into the city, and in the city, there's widespread crime and, and rioting, um, 
oh yeah, and even when the fires go out, there's a water shortage, and you know there's there's always the threat of earthquakes. Um, you look at it, and it's like whether the politics were changed or not, this landscape is very inhospitable. Uh, so that actually drives a lot of out migration from California in a very legitimate way. Uh, a lot of that landscape is under a lot of ecological stress, and there are legitimate reasons why there might not need to be so many human beings in places like Los Angeles, uh, Palm Springs, Sacramento, right? Here, we have limitless rainfall and groundwater that is some of the cleanest in the United States. Um, we're largely homogenous and low crime, which is rarer and rarer. And we have fantastic soil and hardwood forests. So really, the people who leave here, they're leaving here because they're angry about politics. So, you know, there is a sort of cottage industry that runs on rage. They call it rage bait on Twitter, right? Get people angry, get people blackpilled, get people upset about all this stuff, and they'll keep clicking that they eventually move right out of the state. And here, that situation has created a sort of power vacuum so that if you're a long-term thinker, you got to think like Genghis Khan and say, wait a minute, people are leaving behind good soil, hardwood forests, and infinite water, uh, and old buildings, and, and roads, and bridges, and towns that are worth something, and the political situation will change. That's a power vacuum. So we need the people who are from here, and some people who are not from here, to cast their bucket down in this state for a long-term goal of saying, we're not going to let this state go to hell in a handbasket, and we're not going to let it be turned into some, uh, you know, leftist Looney Tunes place where, you know, everything is all screwed up. You know, we're going to preserve it and we're going to fight for it. And we're going to take that power vacuum as an opportunity rather than a reason to get upset and go running off to Tampa, you know? Right. And it, it, it's interesting that you, you frame it in such a way that there's all these resources here and <clears throat> there's uh, a lot of, as you put it, short-term thinking and they're not thinking long-term. Short-term thinking is a problem across many areas of life, especially with our economy, especially with how the government looks at things only in terms of election cycles you know, our attention spans, media cycles, you know, you know long-term thinking is a, a, a very valuable thing, which seems to be in short supply. And I wonder how it is that we can get people back to that. And, and I'm sort of, I'm sort of impressed with your, your ability to advertise for where you live. And I'm just wondering what it would take to like, you know, get, get more people into that long-term thinking frame of mind. Well, I, I think there's, there's, two, there's two big things. A lot of people are hungry. Young people are hungry for something, and they don't know what it is. And a lot of people think, for example, they feel some spiritual thing, and they, and they think, oh, well, I need to put a, a, a crystal under my pillow. I need to burn some incense and I need to, you know, <laughs> do all this hippie stuff. And, and it's funny, it's goofy, you know, to think about that kind of stuff, but it bespeaks an underlying need for spirit. Um, for meaning. For yeah, meaning. for meaning. Exactly. So, so for me, I mean, I, I am involved with the Catholic land movement, for example, right? We're traditional Latin mass Catholics. So we're bringing back the, the spiritual underpinnings of Western civilization as it's found in the classical old school centuries old Latin mass. Um, that, that gets me there because it has me thinking about my death. It has me thinking about my purpose as a human being on a daily basis in, in prayer and in my vocation, uh, God willing as a, as a husband and as a father. That's one way to get people to do long-term thinking. Another thing, when I say young people are hungry, young people have this big interest in environmentalism, and God bless them. I think that that's a, that's a good instinct that is often subverted by the wrong people who have a negative agenda to, to enrich themselves with their own investment portfolio and 
solar and wind and all this other stuff, which is really of dubious value in my estimation. But the young people's interest in environmentalism, they're looking for the beauty of wild nature. They're looking for the richness and the meaning that people get when they work on the land. Why, why does a young person look at a farmer with some kind of envy, even though his life is tough? Um, because there's something there. So I think w when you're dealing at least with young people, you can tease those things out and say, you know, in God's eyes, look across your whole life. Don't just think about today. You, don't just think about what's in your bank account. And in the eyes of the land, what land is objectively valuable? Don't think about what's cool. Don't think about what's politically expedient in the short term. Think about where real, absolute, objectively valuable land is. And you're going to keep coming to the northern northeast again and again and again and again. That's where you're going to find it. That's a, that's a, very, um, that's, that's a very refined and astute observation and, and <clears throat> statement um land and its uses you know i i think that, that that gets abstracted for people because of the sort of trend towards urbanization and this is all across the world this is not unique to the united states or to new york where you know industrialization um intensive agriculture you know the way our society has gone is allowed for more people to live in cities and the, the notion of land and useful land has become an abstraction to so many. And then the government encourages this, you know. I, I'm originally from Canada, just over the border, just over the St. Lawrence River from you. And our government currently is seeking to immigrate 500,000 people per year to Canada. And whatever you might think of that goal, the question is, where are all these people going? And where are all the sort of people that were born in Canada are going? And they're all ending up in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver or Calgary, maybe, maybe Saskatoon, maybe Edmonton. But for the most part, they're all heading to urban centers. And that's not sustainable. And it's not like anything that resembles previous immigration, like my great-grandparents uh, on my dad's side of the family moved to the Sudbury area and they worked in mines and resource extraction and out in the bush and they did stuff, you know, importing people from disaster zones in the Middle East to come to Toronto to work for Uber is not quite the same thing to, to get people to understand that like the, the, we need, like, I don't want to call it a back to the land movement. And I don't want to sound like a hippie, but you know, you know, homesteading, allowing people to set up communities in areas that our current culture considers marginal, but are actually, as you put it, useful and full of resources. Right. 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 Well, and when I describe declining rural areas as a power vacuum, that's sort of what I mean, is that it is an inevitability, I think, um, that, yeah, like the, the, the neoliberal social order requires labor. They, they require labor, and they want the cheapest possible labor that they can get. So what do they get? They get immigrants. Because native-born Americans or Canadians were expensive. You know, paying us costs a lot of money. Or we would like and, to be. Yeah, I mean, right, right. And, and that's the hope. And and if you have some loyalty to your own people like that, yeah, you're going to pay them more and you're going to have a normal country. But instead, this sort of switch around is happening. And it can't be sustained in the urban centers. Even look at New York City now, right? They get all these immigrants coming up by the busload from El Paso and even Mayor Adams, who's, you know, he's, he, he likes to do all this hand-wringing about, um, or not hand-wringing, but he likes, to, he likes to blow the trumpet of, oh, immigrants, they built America, we love immigrants. But what is he doing? He's sending the immigrants out of New York City into Canada because they don't have room for them. The housing market is, is crunched, and 
They don't know what to do with them. And it's only a matter of time before they start putting them into uh, rural areas. And they will. It'll happen. Um, even look at, uh, I don't know much about Canada, but even look at the Atlantic Immigration Pilot Project in Newfoundland and the Maritimes. They fast track you. If you go to St. John's, Newfoundland or Halifax, they fast track you to become a citizen of Canada faster. That's what I've read anyway. I don't, you would know more about that than I would. But, you know, they're encouraging people go to these forgotten rural places. Um, and I think that if we have an interest in maintaining a cohesive nation that has a real identity, we actually have an interest in preserving the places as they are. It's not that I hate immigrants. I don't. But, uh, you know, when they come in a massive influx all at once and fail to assimilate, the land as you have known it will completely change. It will completely change and it will not be recognizable. And I don't think that that should happen because I'm an American and I love America. And if other people want to come to America, that's okay, but they have to come into something cohesive and lasting rather than come into this big empty world where they can just keep doing whatever they were doing before. That's not a country. That's something else, you know? No, that's, um, there, there used, there, there used to be this, there, there's a fellow named Jonathan Carp, and God bless you, Jonathan. If you're still out there somewhere and you happen to listen to this, he was on Thad Russell's podcast a couple of times. He's the first person I ever heard come up with this term called human resources slurry, right? And it's, it's, it, 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 address, <laughs> yeah. it, it addresses this sort of imperative of like, you know, the neoliberal capital project to just make people pliable and you can just move them wherever. And, you know, that's infected conservative thinking to a point too. There's a guy that writes at National Review named Kevin Williamson who, you know, think of him what you will, but he's supported this, like whatever is happening where you're from, if it sucks, just move. Well, well people, you know, yeah, okay. There, there's some uh, strain of nomadic behavior in distant human memory, but people, you know, you don't build a civilization if everybody's just moving around, nor do you maintain right. one if everyone's just moving around constantly to suit the benefits of an abstract economic order that doesn't actually benefit you, you know? And until right. these eggheads get that, you know, wrapped around their heads, we're kind of out to lunch and and I don't I don't think this the human resources slurry um, paradigm and, and I feel bad for uh, immigrants to America and Canada you know the, it's being applied to them you know people like Justin Trudeau are just like well you know our financial system is uh, not in balance. Uh, things are going to run out. We need new taxpayers. And they just figure that immigrants are just going to just show up and rock up and get all these good jobs and pay taxes and everything's going to work out. But that's not how it's actually working out. I don't think, again, back to what you said earlier, there, there's no long-term thinking going on here. And they're sort of beholden to ideologies of the day where we are going to help the oppressed and downtrodden. But if your idea of helping the oppressed and downtrodden is to invite them into your own country where your own native population of downtrodden can't afford a house, can't afford to buy land, can't afford to survive, like you're setting everybody up for failure, not just us, but them. Right, right. And, and you know, something I've thought about before is the idea that maybe the central problem of modern secular nation state politics is this very humanist idea or, or even um, like in modern economics, they talk about utility, you know, what, Oh, what utility do I get from buying a pint of beer at a pub? You know, well, this whole way of thinking of saying, Oh, a human being is a voter. They're a taxpayer. They're a consumer, right? Well, these are, these are things that can be measured. They're not useless. They're good to know. But at the end of the day, any politic that 
fails to take into, into consideration differences in personality types, differences in national culture, differences in ethnic identity, differences in religious point of view is going to become fundamentally anti-human very quickly. And I think that's what we're seeing happen because, yeah, it's true. I mean, throughout the ages, there have been a certain set of people who they do, they move around. I mean, the West didn't get settled uh, because, you know, without, without having a bunch of people who were predisposed to say, yeah, let's pack it up and go. And that's fine if that's the type of person you are. 90% of people are not that way, right? Um, so the idea of, oh, yeah, just move. Okay, if you want to move a couple towns over because you don't like your county tax rate, oh, whatever. I mean, that's not that crazy to say. But when you're talking about moving from, oh, I'm, I'm from Vermont and now I'm going to move to Nevada, you know, that's crazy. That's crazy because it's so far away. You don't have the in-laws right up the street like we were talking about earlier on the phone, right? I mean, having your in-laws, that's part of life. That's that extended family network. And the bigger our extended families get and the more rooted they are in the land, we actually have a, a system of power that subverts the interests of the neoliberal human resources slurry state. Because if I'm more loyal to my God, or I'm more loyal to my land, or I'm more loyal to my family than I am to the interests of the market, well, then that actually costs the big boys money, right? It makes things more difficult for them. Right. And on that note, so what's, you're famous for these threads describing your ideas. Uh, explain to us how this would work practically. Like, how, how do you envision this, you know, uh, based Adirondack Caliphate <laughs> as it were like how how how, do, how does this get constructed how does it work like how, how do you envision this coming to fruition i'm figuring that out as i go but one thing that i know that i can say with certainty is that there's a lot of people who are functionally from nowhere you know i talk to i talk to people who will tell me things like oh the town i grew up in in california you know it's totally different than what it used to be my childhood home got torn down. One guy told me this. He said, my childhood home got torn down and now it's a CVS. Um, and all my family sold and moved away. So that guy, that's a guy who's from nowhere. He is, by definition, deracinated, meaning cut off at the root. And these people are justifiably confused and angry. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. And by default, the culture says, oh, just go to a big city. Just go do some drugs. Just go sleep around. Just go be an intern at a bank. It'll be great. And it isn't great. And people are figuring that out. So I think that, that demographic of people, they don't, they, many of them also don't have a lot of money. So they need affordable housing. They need, they need a, a cheap start. They need a house that's a $60,000 house, right? And they need to cluster. Look at the Amish. I talk about the Amish a lot because... You know, the Amish cluster together. They pool their resources. They buy each other property. You know, they and they don't move just a single Amish family at a time. They move in groups. We need to be doing that. We need to squat up, buy up cheap houses in forgotten places, and we need to make commitments and say, you know what? This is my town, and I'm not going to leave, right? And, and I came here with a bunch of people who are like-minded. We're going to stick by each other. I'm going to try to get my buddy a job if he needs one. I'm going to, if I need a new roof put on, which I need a new roof put on, you know, if you're up here, come help me this summer. You know, I'm going to help my buddy, right? And, and that sort of stuff makes things successful. Another thing I'll throw in there too is that a lot of young people now, they, they think, oh, I, you know, I, I want to live in a cabin. I want to live on a farm. I want to be, you know, in the, in the woods somehow. The, and a lot of the, them try. The, the sort of idealized, neo trad movement for lack of a better word right exactly and and you know what i don't hate them some people think it's cringe some people think it's a problem i think it's it it bespeaks a very healthy sensibility in people but their rates of success are kind of low we we talk here about two-year wonders people who come from away they move here and they think it's going to be great and within two years they're out it's not because they're not actually disposed to it it's because they don't have a network here they're not, they don't have a, a group of people who say, oh, this is how you do that. 
help me with this. I'll help you with that. And if you have that, you're actually going to last. And if we can build a lasting cluster of people who are just sort of dissident, um, you know, reactionary type people, they're going to they're going to be successful. And and New York State is a great place to do that. I'm not saying it's the only place to do it. I think uh, I, I see a lot of good possibilities in Northern Maine, Upper Peninsula, Michigan, the Dakotas. Uh, but but here is really just so ripe for it. And there's a market for it. If there wasn't, I wouldn't have all the followers I do on Twitter, you know, so. Yeah, the desire is certainly there. Um, you, you can see that in the discourse. Although you, I, I would hate to use terms like, you know, dissident or reactionary because those, not that I disagree with them, but they're sort of locked in time, right? Because we mm. live in this zeitgeist now where, you know, the rainbow hegemon and all the cultural and social confusion and dysfunction out there. But um, again, thinking long-term at some point, you know, people will wake up to the reality that that's not sustainable and it's not natural. It's not humane and we'll, they'll get past it. So maybe, maybe, maybe different terminology is better. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. I could be wrong. Honestly, the, the, the confusion is so generalized in this era that it's almost impossible to have static terms that work because it's true. I mean, like when I say trad, for example, that's a good one because like that word, I don't know if I say it, it's got a lot of baggage that it accumulated in what a couple of years, you know, I'm really speaking, I'm not saying trad in a, in a totally uh, static way. I'm saying the people who kind of have this vague sensibility and for lack of a better term, I call trad, right? Um, I, I use the word reactionary a lot because that is a fairly static concept of just saying, you know, French Revolution, was it a good idea or was it a bad idea? I think most people who are observing can look and say, ah, that might not have been such a good idea because it appended the social order of Europe and it never really coalesced into anything very human uh, afterwards. So this idea of, oh, are we idealists or are we realists? Do we admit that hierarchy exists and will exist? Or do we want some kind of an egalitarian, everybody hold hands thing? Uh, I, I notice when I use the term reactionary, it brings people out a lot better than terms like conservative or trad or even based, stuff like that, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to see how all this sort of communication works, especially online, you know, like there's still a lot of people out there. And, you know, and I think this speaks to maybe um, uh, the, the, the sort of the, the type of people who would be more amenable to your project pro probably aren't even online and, you know, would, would be kind of confused or aghast or not sure what you're talking about with some of these terms you know I, th I think people forget sometimes that like twitter and the rest of the online sphere represents to the you know a, a, not a small minority but a small enough minority that there's still a lot of no you know normies out there who aren't hip with the lingo and maybe not understand but in amongst those normies are a lot of people that just you know they want to. They want to grill. They want to. They want to just have a normal life and be left alone. And and those right. are the those are the sort of people that would want to live in you know the north slope of the Adirondacks, and you know you use firewood to heat their homes and have a functional local family and associate network to help each other out a community. And you know how 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 do we get those people? after we like drive through the wall of weird online discourse and buzzwords? I think um, I, I kind of started working with what I've got because, you know, I, I can't talk, I'm not going to talk here about my job, but I wound up involuntarily being placed in an office job that I didn't want to be in. And not just an office job, but an office job where you don't do anything at all. It's government work, right? So I'm there doing government work, sitting there doing nothing. And I never had a smartphone, so I got a smartphone. 
and I started using Twitter a lot. And then I found these people who are sort of thinking about this stuff. It just sort of went from there. But I agree with you that most of the people who are um, really high caliber folks who, who would really be thinking along these lines, they're not online. And, and God bless them. I wasn't online, you know, and, and now here I am. And I see there's a lot of people who are online who just want to be enraged. They're addicted to rage. They're addicted to anger. They're addicted to doom. And um, God help them because they will snap out of it at some point. And some of them have, and some of them are looking around and they're saying, well, my community is the internet right now for whatever reason in their life. And some of those people might get pulled aside. I know eventually it's a momentum thing. It, the question is about momentum. In And momentum is a lot easier to get in low population regions. Because if I move, say I move alongside 10 other people to Manhattan, and we think we're going to just take over Manhattan, just really totally reinvigorate the culture, it's not going to happen. But if I and 10 people move to a town of 500 that has its own government and has its own utilities and its own roads and everything is there, all of a sudden that's actually interesting and that can make headlines and be something that people see. And they'll see it even outside of Twitter. And then you've got the momentum because people will say, wait a second, those guys are onto something. Maybe well, I have a It's a matter there. of scale. Right, right, right. So if you want to have any kind of political power, you go to a low population density area. That's, I, I, I'm a big believer in that. Nothing, it, nothing feels more powerless to me than the idea of having any kind of a political opinion and living in a big city. Uh, or a big suburb, or, or a lot of these places, your voice truly is uh, totally sidelined unless you go right along with with what uh, the the dominant culture is requiring. You know. On that note, what do you say to say secessionist movements? And I don't mean like I, I mean in the general sense, not in the specific like we're gonna carve out this portion of geography and separate from the United States, but like, you know, there, there's the state of Jefferson on the West coast. There's the greater Idaho movement. It's more about, it's less about secession and more about reorganizing, you know, reorganizing certain parts of certain States away from other parts. And there, there's always, there, there's always been a particular strain of that in upstate New York, given that, you know, the, the state is dominated by the city, Long Island to a lesser extent in Albany. But then you have this massive landmass to the north and to the west who do not get represented at all in decisions which affect your, your life where you're at. Right. So, I mean, it, it's, it's one thing to try and decentralize, to try and build local community networks to, you know, try and move things along in your own local government but at the same time we still have to deal with albany so so what do you what do you say to the the sort of like new, new york restructuring and where does that fit into this you know it's that's a that's a it's a good question and i think a lot about it and i have mixed feelings because on the one hand what do upstaters really want that is incompatible with the current layout of upstate uh, or, or of the state of New York. I mean, I would person—I don't know about you, but I would personally be happy with, you know, uh, gun laws that are true to the second amendment of the constitution of the United States. I would be personally happy with a little more autonomy in schools and uh, property taxes that are a little more reasonable, especially for poor folks who are often paying absurd percentages of their annual income just to keep their home um, good with the tax man. Beyond that, I don't have too, too many problems with the state out and out. The restrictive business climate is actually a, a, it's actually a boon, you know? So uh, by protecting us from crazy levels of development, and I've always feared that if by some miracle upstate New York became autonomous and, and became its own state, that it would turn into the sort of state that said, oh, we're open for business. I 
am not uh, what what I was calling earlier a, a strip club Republican. I don't care <laughs> about I don't care about being open for business. Uh, I, yeah, our job's important. Yes, but what's really important is is what does it mean to be human? That's what is really important to me. And so I worry that if this upstate became uh, independent in some way that they would just gut the Adirondack Park and the protections that that keep that park wild and clean and undeveloped, and um, that they might start welcoming all kinds of investment from these global ultra-neoliberal corporations. Who What would they do? They would build big, ugly apartment complexes, roll out the rainbow flag, and completely decimate the little shreds of, of original upstate New York cult because they've gone basically unmolested by uh, the, the, the financial system, you know? So I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic when it comes to secession. Now, I will say on the other side of it, because you bring up the state of Jefferson, right? There may be some inevitability that the United States could balkanize. I'm not going to be a total doomer about it, I don't, I don't, I'm not actually going to say it's inevitable, but it certainly is possible that we could go the way of Yugoslavia and start splitting up uh, as a country into smaller and smaller uh, polities. And I don't know uh, if that were to happen. My only hope would be that some force would intervene in that process to ensure that the protection of the Adirondack Park continues and that um, the protection of, of our culture here is placed at the forefront of the objectives of whatever new government were to be established. You know, I worry about that sort of thing. You know, I worry about the libertarian bent in American culture and how anti-traditional it really winds up being and how anti-wild uh, nature it really ends up being. If you know what I'm saying, that's kind of a nebulous idea, but you know. Sure, to, to um, devil's advocate, because I'm, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with libertarian thinking, like, you know, doctrinaire, maybe not, you know, culturally understood, but like, there are those in the libertarian crowd who said, like, if you had your sovereignty over the Adirondacks, over your area, and, you know, you guys had more decentralized control over it, you could prevent this. Because one of the big things in libertarian thought is that they're on board with decentralization, right? Um, un unfortunately, there's some cringe cringetarians who still believe that the state and corporations are separate entities that they haven't been paying attention, and <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what we do about them. But the, there's some there's some strain of that thought though that's somewhat. Uh, I think it cohes with localism to a point but again you know as you said we we have these sort of extra national entities extra national corporations who you know give no shits about what the locals want right so you know i i i see where you're going with that yeah it's um well, it kind of begs a question. That's a that's a dark question that doesn't make you a lot of friends at parties. Um, <laughs> but do do we really believe in democracy? I'm not sure that I do, because I see it in my own hometown. Right? I see we have a historical town hall. This is something small and local, but it, but it's of of great importance to me. Our town hall was constructed in I believe 1850 in the village of Delta which was flooded to make a reservoir to support the Erie Canal. They moved the building to, to my town, and it became the town hall. Well, that town hall is on the, I, I believe it's on the National Register of Historic Places. It's a beautiful, old, classical um, town hall with an opera hall on the second floor. It's beautiful. The people who have gotten into power in the in the local government, and I haven't been living in that town for years uh, because of of the nature of my work, um, so I couldn't stop this. They have started to buy up property near the town hall to tear down the old town hall and build a new one, which you know would be some you know drywall and fluorescent light, you know, goofy looking thing that doesn't match the character of the town. 
And I talk to people in the town. Some people love it. Some people love the idea. Why? I, I can't say. I, I, I can't say. And I look at that and I say, I don't know if I need um, democratic control. I, I really sort of feel uh, almost like a neo-feudalist at times because I realize that people don't know what's best for them. If we tore down that town hall, it would not be good for anybody. You know and what's interesting is <laughs> I'm trying to contain my internal laughter here. But like, <laughs> there's a there's a sort of irony with the the forces of global homogeneity and their you know um, approach to architecture and making everything this sort of cosmopolitan beige sameness. Moving into a place like upstate New York which a lot of the towns here are named after antiquity, you know, Syracuse, Ithaca, Rome, uh, Pompey, Utica, Utica, just all these places named after, you know, Greek, Greek and Roman ancient civilization. But then the forces of global homo move in and turn it into everywhere and anywhere and debase what those places were trying to preserve, which I think is somewhat obscene. It is. It is. It is. And, and yeah, I, I don't want to LARP too hard as a traditional Catholic um, medievalist, but we need a, we need an ancien regime, right? Like the old, the old French class of aristocrats, right? We need some sort of, um, we need a class of people who have power and their interest in maintaining their power is not for its own sake, right? This idea of like nouveau riche, right? People who make all this money, they got all this money and they just keep making money. And what do they do with it? They build some big ugly villa and they've got their Porsche and they've got this, that, and the third. And that is the ideal of the powerful magnate in American society today. And, and the decision-making of men like that is why the landscape has been uglified into a, an obscene stretch of Walmarts and Flying J and liquor stores and all this mega churches even. I look at some of this stuff, and no offense if you have any listeners who attend them. I look at them and I say, this is we didn't do this. Western civilization didn't do this. We didn't do interstate highway strip malls. Uh, for the majority of our history as a culture. So why would we continue? And we need a class of powerful people who are loyally local and they believe in beauty. And in order to believe in beauty in a meaningful way, you really need to have a religious framework and you need to respect the land. And how do we get powerful people to see that? I don't know. But I know if you build beauty uh, from the ground up, and it, and it catches on, and it catches fire, and people see it, and they say, wow, look at that little town that, that was totally unremarkable and dying 10 years ago, and these young guys came in, and they made it gorgeous, and people love it, and they want to keep doing it. Powerful people will see, and they'll realize there needs to be a shift in the culture away from you know, the strip club Republican, tear down the old schoolhouse and put it in an olive garden mentality, you know? Yeah, I I agree with you fully, you know, and it's funny, there's a a phenomenon where Americans and Canadians, Mexicans, people in the New World in general, you know, Brazilians, they'll they'll go on holiday to Europe, they go back to the home country, and I'm just as guilty of this as the next guy, you know, in 2008, I took my grandparents to Scotland um, and showed them around. You know, they saw more of Scotland with me when we were there than when they lived there for their economic station and circumstance. But that's neither here nor there. But, you know, I went to Edinburgh and Edinburgh is amazing. You know, all this, all these stone, you know, buildings and the cathedral. And we went, I took my grandparents to see the Edinburgh tattoo at Edinburgh Castle. And all of this stuff was built in the like 16th century. And people flock to see it. Like it has right. an intrinsic inherent value, this this beauty that everybody recognizes and understands as such. But we don't build that anymore. No. We build 
drab, gray, clean lines, you know, economically efficient, though aesthetically repulsive sameness. How do we compel the, the people in charge to alter this course back towards making things, architecture, to stand the test of time? You know, because 500 years after Edinburgh Castle was constructed, we still honor it with some kind of reverence. Is anyone going to honor a strip mall in 500 years? Hell no. 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 And uh, I guess the the, the sort of bigger meta 50,000 foot question is like, how do we how do we get these people that are in charge to understand this? And I don't know what that answer is, but like, I, I think you might. Well, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of, I mentioned earlier that I'm, that I'm, I'm interested in the Catholic land movement. I participate in the Catholic land movement. That's a big part of why I do what I do. And, um, Michael Thomas, who's on Twitter, you might want to interview him. He's, he's great. If Michael you Thomas of um, Sharon. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, um, yeah, him and his wife he, are great. They're fantastic folks. And, and they say something often enough that I'll see them tweeting or, or, or I'll hear them say it. Uh, they'll say, hold the line. And I like that phrase because we use that. That was, that was the, that was the battle cry of the freedom convoy in Canada. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, and I don't, I don't want to just say, hold the line for um, one thing or the other. I mean, in the ultimate sense, right? Spiritually, we have to hold the line because why is Edinburgh beautiful? Why is the Sistine Chapel beautiful? Because men who believed in God built it. They believe in God. They gave their whole lives to the, the craft of perfecting nature in the way that only a creature made in the image of God is capable of doing. And so I say we keep creating beauty. We keep loving God we, and, and spread that, spread the word, spread the message of the, the Christian faith everywhere that we can. It, you know, and how do I say what I'm thinking? Um, when you, when you yeah. say when you say spread it everywhere, that's not to like insinuate geography, but like everywhere in the cultural, political, social zeitgeist as an idea. Yeah, because that's what built Western civilization, right? I mean, this idea of we are made in the image of God and we sacrifice, and there's beauty in the sacrifice. Um, this, this idea is so integral to the things that Western civilization has done. We need to hold that line and understand, because you, you mentioned, how do we get powerful people, the people who are in charge, to rethink what they're doing when they're you know, building these big franchise corporations that just tear up the landscape and, and make it totally soulless? Here's what I say. If we hold the line spiritually and we build beauty locally, um, all we have to do is wait, because that class of people who are really parasites in so many ways, and, and God, God help them, uh, they're going to do themselves in over time. We have a ruling class at this stage of, of Western history. They're not long for this world, I don't think. You look at uh, Jeffrey Epstein, right? These, these, this level of, of degenerate nastiness, just an ugliness in your soul where you believe in nothing at all, and you'll do anything for a rush. You'll do anything for that extra $100,000 payout, $100 million payout. Those people will be consumed in the fire of their own ugliness. And all we have to do is say, okay, well, go ahead and do that. I'm going to keep on humbly restoring old buildings, praying, building a big, beautiful family, and having good friends who I have over for a pint. And we help each other. You know, that's all we really need to do. And yeah, it could take a couple of generations, but you have to be a long-term thinker, you know? Yeah, again, long-term thinking, you know, we have to build from the margins, I think. And, you know, there's a lot of, uh, uh, to, to give credit to some of the, you know, doom pillars, black pillars, maybe realists who are rightly concerned, you know, and, and, I, and I put myself in this camp a little bit, 
You know, like, what do we do when we're arrayed against these forces and when it's so expensive to live and it, it's very hard, but, you know, your message of building from the bottom up, you know, it, it's very democratic uh, in, in a way, um, not, not to be confused with the Democratic Party <laughs> or, or, no. or, 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 or the highly dysfunctional democracies we all are under the boot of. Right. You know, it, it, it's legitimate ground up building, you know, in, in mm-hmm. the literal and figurative sense. We have to get into the ground, build things that are beautiful, and then build networks and family groups of people who are, you know, copacetic with this project. And, um, you know, th- this is this is a great point. You know, I'm really happy I got to speak with you about this because this, this is follows this little video you put out a few days ago where, you know, you extolled to everyone that it was within their possibility to make it, you know, we're going to make it. And I think, you know, the, the, the sort of somewhat viral nature of that video and the positive responses it engendered speaks to a desire for, you know, what, what you and I are kind of aiming at here. And, um, you know, how, how, how do we, how do we take your video? How do we take this chat? How do we take this idea, you know, past just, you know, the, the you's and the me's and the boiled owls and the Michael Thomas's of the world and propagate it. You know, it's, um, it's, 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 it's a good project and it's worthy. How do I say it? I'll, I'll, uh, well, I'll get personal for a second. I grew up with no father. Okay. And so in a lot of ways I had to, raise myself right and i and i was i was miserable when i was when i was a teenager when i was a young kid because i i think every every little kid every little boy craves order and authority and just a big picture view of who he is and what he's supposed to be doing and if you don't have a father you don't have that and so at a certain point as a young man i said well I think I know what I want. I think I know that I want some kind of a purpose. I want to be able to put myself together and do the thing. And then I realized it was as easy as me reflecting, pausing, looking at hard truths, understanding what the real limits were and what needed to be done, and then doing it. And it's been painful. It's been difficult. But I have figured out what my values are, what I need, and the literal steps of what it took to go from sleeping under a bridge and hitchhiking around the country to now here I am, I'm in my house. I did this. I bought my house. I did what I had to do to get it. And so you look at what do I lack? How do I get it? Well, we, we should know most of us, we're lacking beauty. We're lacking authority. We're lacking purpose. Where do you find that? You know, you, you can find beauty in the land. You can find beauty in God. You can find purpose becoming a family man, becoming a wife, becoming a, a, becoming a priest, whatever it is, whatever, whatever gives you some sense of purpose in your life that is ultimate. I don't mean, yes, if I get in my car and go to the gas station to get a cup of coffee, that's my purpose for you know 20 minutes. Uh, I mean, no, what is my purpose with a capital P? And this sounds like uh, like a high school football coach pep talk when I start talking like this. Hell no! There's, like there, 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 there's deep truths within it, you know. Right, and right. I, I, I'm a bit older than you. I'm a father. I have two beautiful daughters. Right. That's that's purpose. The propagation. It is purpose. The propagation of humanity is purpose. The right. propagation of a positive culture that allows all of this to continue is a purpose. And yep. you know, th- this is going to sound like maybe Peterson esque, you know, Jordan Peterson has become quite famous the last few years, but like every little thing, the cleaning of your room, the, the making the decision to, to understand that what we're being sold is garbage and to focus right. inwards and making yourself better and then slowly building from there, you know? And yeah. I- and, and, it requires bold and decisive action. You can't sleep on it. You know, you like if you you're a father, you know, there situations emerge with your daughters where if you don't take action, 
immediately and and decisively, they're going to suffer. It's not going to be right for them, and it's not going to be right for you. So you have to say, well, I, maybe I have the answer, maybe I don't, but I'm going to try my best, and I'm going to decisively jump in. And, and I think a lot of that also, I will, I will mention here too, a lot of that for the Twitter crowd and the online crowd, that, it, that has to involve um, getting together in real life, boldly and decisively moving away from the online sphere and into, <clears throat> hey, come over, you know, because we're neighbors now. We, before, we used to just be mutuals. Now we're neighbors, you know. Um, that's a big deal. That's a big deal, and a lot of people are hungry for that, and they, they don't have it anywhere, and they, and they ought to, you just have to start building it instead of doom scrolling on the internet. Just start building, you know? Yeah, use these connections you've made online to make into something in real life. Right. Um, I, 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 fu I fully support that. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of tr trust issues and people worried about getting doxxed and all that nonsense. Uh, right. I, I, I'm less worried about it because I'm old and I work for a Kulak and I don't care. <laughs> you know, right. Maybe maybe that's a privileged position in and of itself that you know no one's going to call my boss and get me fired. If anyone tried to call my boss, he would just laugh at them and call them a libtard and hang up the phone. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Which right. Is, which no matter who your boss is, whether it's a kulak like mine or some major corporation, that should be the response. Nobody right. should get fired for having an opinion and having a certain way of life. You know. Right. And right. I, 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 do, I do agree that um, we, we need to make more in-person connections and maybe this little conversation here in our area of upstate New York. I mean, I'm much further south than you, but like, you know, I, 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 I honor that. And I think it's a good it's a good thing because, you know, to give the doom scrollers and the black pillars their due, you know, there's storm clouds around. And um, sure. I don't the, disagree. The, uh, the the call to action grows a little more critical by the day. Right. All right, Andy, thank you very much for coming on Voice of Gord. I really appreciate yeah, this. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure, Gord. Yeah, I that that video you made, you know, I've been following you online for a while and all of your great threads, but I watched that video you made and it reminded me of my late Uncle Bruce. I just, you know, just a little bit of your appearance, but like the sort of positive attitude. He lived in a marginal area too. He lived in like Northwestern Ontario, 150 miles away from civilization. And he nice. made the most of it. He built a little community with the people that were there, did what he had to do. And I see a lot of that in you and I respect it greatly. And um, the fact that you agreed to come here and extol all of this is fantastic. Uh, you mentioned a few people have asked you to start your own podcast and I, you, it almost sounds like you're, a, a you've had some kind of speech coaching or training. Like you've got the public speaking thing down really well. Um, I'm totally impressed and I would encourage you to go forward with that project. Cause I think people need to hear what you have to say, sir. I, I, I really appreciate that Gord. I, I very well may do that. And, and I would encourage anybody listening who's thinking the same way i'm thinking especially about upstate new york to reach out send me a dm you know i mean we you know if if you're looking uh, i'm i'm here i i want to commit myself to to this to this vision that i've got and this feels very much it feels vocational it feels like it'll be my life's work so right and and uh, godspeed to you with that and, and and again thanks for coming on all right thanks gord